Let's pray, and then we'll look into God's word this morning. So, Jesus, we do love you. Um, And we sang earlier that you're worthy, and you're not simply worthy of us attending church on Sunday morning. You're worthy of all the adoration and praise we can give you because you are able to, and you only are able to change our lives, change our hearts, turn them back to you. And uh, we love you. We love your word. And so, Jesus, as we look into your word this morning, would you help us see and hear things that you want us to see and hear, and then give us direction, Jesus, from your voice as to what you want us to do to lead us to a life that's full of the life and power that come from God alone. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, today we're talking about the good life. You often, you'll, you'll talk about the good life, and, and just this morning there were some people back in the back early talking about... Uh, which is HDTV or home, you know, home, and you see all these programs where people are fixing up their houses, and, and you might think, and I might think, oh, that's the good life. Or maybe you have another definition of the good life, but it often might come from television or social media or whatever, magazines, because the good life, and I, I, my big, big arching question is, what is the good life? Because we all want to live the good life. Boy, he has a good life. I want to live the good life. What does that look like? For Are you living the good life right now, completely as you want to? If you're not, what does it take? What will it take for you to live the good life? Here's some answers you might have. More money. Help me live the good life. Better job. Better relationships will help me live a good life. Better health more sex, more money for retirement. But we all have something in our mind, some navigational thing in our mind that's telling us, if I want to live the good life, I need more of this and maybe less of that. I don't want those, I don't want distractions, I don't want stress, I don't want anything negative. So we, we do have understanding and we might even have in our, we maybe have not articulated it, but we all have some sense in our heads for what the good life is. And again, if I'm honest, my good life things have to do with some of those things I mentioned, but I'm 61 now, so I'm thinking about retirement. I'm thinking about finishing paying off my college kids' loans and paying off college, and I want more of this, I want better health, and more, more, more. Sad thing is, often the first things out of my mouth, or even out of your mouth, is not, I want more of God. And if we're honest, it's like, well, we know what, of course we want that, but it's like, but that's not, usually not the tip of our tongue response. The good life being, I want more of God in my life. Because that sounds religiously correct, but it sounds like a little bit, I don't know what that means. So today we're going to look at that a little bit. So I've been doing a series, started a few weeks ago, called, Do You Want to Be Healed? And it uh, comes out of the, the mission of Jesus was to heal us. And I don't mean heal simply physically, although he's able to do that. But uh, Jesus came to heal broken hearts. He came to basically set our GPS in the right direction because our GPS has been broken by all kinds of things. So we have a dysfunctional view of the good life because we're trying to figure it out. So, And the subtitle of the series is Encountering the Love of Jesus. So all these 
Every week, and we did it, started two weeks ago, we're talking about people that Jesus encountered. Two weeks ago, it was the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well who was on her fifth husband. Last week, it was the man who had been lame for 38 years, and Jesus says, you want to get well. So all these are encounters with Jesus, and I've said to you, and I'm myself, I'm trying to think this way as well, don't just be an observer in these encounters. Put yourself in the feelings and emotions and body of the Samaritan woman or the man for 38 years and what their encounter with Jesus was like that brought them to wholeness. Because healing, the biblical word healing, also is the word we use for salvation, simply means wholeness. Um, if somebody, if I grew up in a kind of a Baptisty kind of culture and they'd say, well, you need to get saved. In that culture at times, what it simply meant was you need your ticket to heaven. You just need to pray this prayer and you got your ticket. But really, biblically speaking, it means you are on the journey to be made whole because of Jesus in your life. All right? So that's being healed, being made whole. That's what we want. I want to be healed. I want to be made whole. So this all comes from the mission of Jesus, which is in Luke chapter 4. Go to the next slide. So every week we're going to start with this passage because this is the mission of Jesus according to Jesus. All right? His mission... uh, wasn't simply to get us into heaven after we die. Um, that's part of the, I guess I'll call it a fringe benefit, to have life with God. But he said by his dog of mission, this was his first sermon. He was in a hometown synagogue of Nazareth, small town, the regular gathering. It was his turn to read, and he read a passage from the Isaiah, and it was this passage. And I want you to read it out loud with me, because, again, we're going to read this every week. This is the mission of Jesus. According to Jesus, all right? Here we go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So he read that, he sat down, and then he tells the people in attendance, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was reading from what was the Old Testament then, So he's basically saying, I'm the one who's going to do all this. It's me. That's his mission. Healing, sight to the blind, freedom of those in captive. That's what he came to do. And I've said before too, and I think I'm going to repeat this a number of times. I used to read this passage and think, oh, it's so nice that Jesus came for those people. Those people who really have broken lives. You know, the blind, the oppressed, the poor. But the reality is, he, this is about you and about me. He's talking about us. He's talking, not talking about the people who have hard lives. He's talking about every single person, whether you have nice cars, nice house, nice insurance, nice job, or don't. He's talking about all of us because he's talking about our hearts. So this, this week, we're going to look at the encounter Jesus has with a rich man. It shows up in a number of Gospels. Go to the next slide. It shows up in a number of Gospels. I'm going to read the one from Luke chapter 18. But again, all of these are about Jesus encountering individual people, ultimately about Jesus encountering us. And he's trying to help us see things in our hearts that have been broken, that maybe have given us a twisted understanding of the good life. So whether it was the woman who was on her fifth husband, thought the good life, of course, would have been like finding the right man. Or the man last week, 38 years lame, the good life would be, I just want to be healed, I want to walk. But Jesus knew he needed more than that. So this week we're looking at the, uh, the rich man. So I'm going to read from 
Luke. This is Luke chapter 18, but it shows up in a number, it shows up in three different gospels, the same story and variation of it, but the details are the same, all right? So this is Luke chapter 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and your mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad. For he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, he would have said this to his disciples, how hard it is for a rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard said this, who in the world can be saved? If that's the standard, who can be saved? Jesus replied, what's impossible for people is possible for God. Then Peter, who always spoke up, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God you'll be, will be paid many times over in this life. And we'll have eternal life in the world to come. And we're going to break some of these things down here in a second. But that was the, that was the, this is the encounter, all right? So this is what his first question is. He says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What? And you can tell by his answer later that he has obeyed all the commandments that he maybe is feeling a little bit self-righteous. Hey, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And he asked Jesus that question. And, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? You know what the commandments are. You know, don't. Don't lie, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother. And then Jesus throws in this zinger, which throws the man for a complete loop, obviously, and it may even throw us for a complete loop. And again, this is Jesus speaking specifically to this man's, the need of his heart. And I would say it's the wound of this man's heart. Because his wealth became his definition of the good life. I got that. I'm already obeying. What else do I have to do? But Jesus, why do you call me good? Then Jesus says this. Again, still in response to this question. There's one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give give money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, some people try to take this passage. That means Jesus wants us all to sell, give to the poor, and kind of a communal, socialist kind of living no, this, this is Jesus talking to this man's issue in his heart. And like a really good surgeon, Jesus knew exactly where to go to this guy's heart. Because he knew the guy externally was a biblically moral person. I will obey the commandments. I do this. I do this. But Jesus knew there was still an idolatry in his heart, um, a woundedness in his heart that made him realize, I gotta make, if I have, I'll have the good life if I have these riches. We don't know. He may have got them all, honestly, something like that. But he still was, there was still something about his view of money that Jesus knew, I got to press that as well. And money's not bad. Jesus never said money's bad. Wealth is not bad. Job was wealthy. 
Money is not bad. Wealth is not bad. But when it becomes an idolatry, which obviously this man had to become because of his response, um, Jesus will come and, like a surgeon, kind of go right at it. So then what the, the man... The man says, then it says, when the man heard this, next slide, when the man heard this, he became very sad. So I want you to put yourself in his shoes for a second, his sandals, whatever he had on. I don't know what he had on. And you're, you, you're an obedient Christian. You follow Jesus. As much as you know, you're obeying all the commandments. Um, you might give 10% of your income to the church or ministries or whatever. And so to some degree, some degree, understandably, you feel pretty good about yourself. feel pretty good about yourself spiritually. And then Jesus comes and says to you, okay, let's talk about your money. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, can we just talk about obedience? I'm already, I'm already doing the 10% thing, Jesus, and... I give, I give to people when they're in need, and Jesus is like, no, I'm just, let's just talk about that issue. And he says, you need to let go of all that. I think we'd all get to very sad, but first I think we'd be a little bit very irritated. Like, come on, kid me? What, 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 what you know, all these, defensive. But it says he's very sad. Now, what's interesting with this term, very sad, this term appears a couple of times in the New Testament. So I'm just, I'm just, let's look at the emotional intensity of this. The, one of the other times, primary times it occurs is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and it says, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with grief. He knew what was coming. That's the same words as very sad. So this man wasn't just upset or mildly disappointed in Jesus' response. He was overwhelmed. It's the response of Jesus, like with sadness and grief, like, I, I got to give that up? I, 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 can't, I can't give that up. And his very sad was the idea of if I gave it up, I think I'd be like overwhelmed, like with stress and grief and what about my bills? What about this? I mean, I, I don't know what else he'd been thinking, but very sad is a very strong emotional term here. And because Jesus presses on money in this particular passage that's where I'm going to press and that's where God presses me often what if Jesus asked you to do maybe not even give it all up but give some of it up give more I mean not, not even give it up hand it over but give it up as the goal of your life my goal is to be financially secure my goal is to have this. My goal is to have this kind of retirement. My goal is to, I want to get a boat. I want to go on. I would, uh, those, and none of those things are bad. But what this man had done, which we can easily do, he made it his goal, and I sure hope Jesus supports my goal of, of financial well-being. Because what happens is we tend to define, and I'm saying we, I'm including myself, the good life is, yes, I want to follow Jesus, and I want this too. Jesus and a healthy bank account. Jesus and the kind of marriage I've always dreamed of. Jesus and multiple kids. Jesus and, well, I want to go on vacation once in a while. And none of those things are bad. 
They only become bad when you connect it to Jesus with the, with the word and. Jesus and this. Jesus and, and Jesus is really, really good at demanding unconditional uh, following. And he knew this man would balk at that. Not that Jesus was trying to play games with him. He just knew that was an issue. Because in this man's story, which is maybe our story in different forms, his being made whole, being healed, being wholehearted, would, would involve Jesus removing the idolatry of money in his life. Because that, whether it came from a wound of, you know, I know some people that didn't have much money when they were younger, so now they've become focused on, I want to be secure, I don't want to have that anymore, I don't want to have, you know. So, but somehow, his desire for money was either a woundedness about not having money, or he knew his identity was going to come. He would feel better about himself if he had more money, if he kept his money. So, again, having money is not the issue. It's why you have it and what, you, what the money says to you about you because Jesus wants to heal that in you because he doesn't want your identity of the good life to come from that. So he's very sad, walks away. Jesus turns to those who are listening. Many of them were his disciples because Peter speaks up. And that's when they, he says it's really it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which was, we don't, we don't know if it was an architectural sense of a, of a certain part of a building called a needle, but it was basically, it's really, it's not possible for that to happen, for them for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, money is a real big block in us being wholehearted to Jesus. And then he says this in the, the disciples, Peter speaks up, and he's like, well, we, we give up everything to follow you. I mean, it's, they don't have, like, bank accounts. They're, they're following Jesus. They're trusting him. They give up their jobs. And this is what Jesus says to them. Go to the next one. Everyone, as I say this to you, everyone who has given up, say those two words in yellow with me, all right? One, two, three, given up, all right? The word that means abandoned, let go of, kind of put it off to the side. Everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children. Now, he's not saying disassociate yourself with that, but he's saying your, even your human relationships aren't, that, aren't as important as it is. In other words, don't put your hopes for the good life in parents, children, house, wife, brothers. Don't, don't put your hope in that. You might have that, but don't. So sometimes the giving up is not necessarily giving up. Like They would never say walk away from your spouse or walk away from your kids. But it's are you willing to give up your hope that those relationships will put you into the good life? He said anyone who's given up those things for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over. And this I want you to notice this too. In this life. He's not just saying you'll have more, you'll have a bigger mansion in heaven in this life and we'll have eternal life in the world to come. So he's like this life and, but then I think, because I think this way, wait a minute, the disciples gave up all this and they didn't get like big bank accounts back in this life. They all, they all were martyred. Most of them died in poverty. So Jesus is obviously saying, he's not saying I'll pay you back money wise. 
but those, every one of those disciples and others throughout history who have died because of the cause of Jesus had a depth of joy and peace that you and I, I think, would die for, if I could say it that way. We would love to have that kind of joy and peace. And we might even trade money for the depth of joy and peace that they had about their life with God, all right? So when, so, but there's something about this giving up thing, because that's when Peter says, we've given up everything for you. So the question I'll ask, and just leave it on this passage right now, the question I'll ask is, what's Jesus asking you to give up for the sake of the kingdom? And again, not saying you have to turn over your bank account. I'm not saying, there might be something you do with that. I'm not saying you need to end those relationships, but there might be something how you think about whether those relationships are going to lead you to the good life or not, whether that's going to lead you to the good life or whatever else. What, what do you set your target on? He's saying, give that up. And sometimes giving that up may mean some action. You know, so I, I, don't, always, I don't always carry my wallet. It's probably too fat. My wife tells me it's too fat, but that's okay. So if I were to say, okay, Jesus, you want this, you can have it. I mean, it's got credit cards in here and insurance and car insurance and house insurance and health insurance credit cards, you want this. And then, then, you know, Jesus is, you know, we play the game. You can have it. It's like, no, but am I willing to let Jesus control this? Now, what, what Jesus doesn't know right now is the ATM card in here has been canceled because of fraud this week. I have a new one coming in the mail. He can have this as long as I get my new one. He doesn't know about it, right? Whatever, you know, but I, I'm saying we play those games with Jesus. Well, I'll, I'll, you can have this, but I'm going to still have this. And can you give up that, and maybe I'm, when I'm saying giving up that, I'm, I don't mean you throw it away and say, my, I don't care about my money, but maybe you're giving up the clutch. I mean, that's me, I'll be honest, that's me, it's the clutch. Like, then Jesus is like, no, can you just, can you let it go? Can you trust me with that part of your life? And if you're like me, it's like, well, maybe, uh, I don't know, and you're kind of doing this. But Jesus says, can you trust me with this part of your life? There's, a, there's an old hymn that some of you would know, uh, and I'm, we're not going to sing it, but um, I'll sing it actually because it helps me remember the words. The, the song is, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Everybody knows that song? Somebody will know? So it's interesting. I heard somebody talk about this song one time, and they said, well, you notice the song does not say one-tenth to Jesus I surrender, one-tenth to him I freely give. It's all. You're like, Jesus, you want all of it? You, you want control of all of it? I mean, can I have a little bit of control? Because I want to make sure I do have enough to retire on. I'm going to make sure we can go on that vacation. And Jesus says, no, I, the, the, the song is a reflection of what Jesus says in this passage. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. And I'm, I'm laughing at myself because when I was in college my senior year, I went to like a weeknight service at a church, and I, I, you could call it a revival service or whatever. But I, my memory may be shaky on this, but I do remember this was the hymn at the end. And the, the, the preacher's name was Stephen F. Olford. Um, not Alford, not Stephen, no, Alford. But his... his 
his thing was, if you're willing to give up your life to Jesus, and I was already Christian, but he was asking for that greater commitment. And in that sense, we, we would go for. I went forward, you know. So I surrender all. You know, I sat once. I was a senior in college. I told you I surrender all. But what ends up happening is I surrendered all that I knew of myself at that time in my life. And it seems like our whole life, Jesus will ask you whether you're 22, 42, or 62, or 82, are you still willing to surrender all? And now that you know more of yourself, somebody told me one time that following Jesus is surrendering all that you know of yourself to all that you know of God. Well, the older you get or I get or the more self-aware, you, you realize there's more things maybe you should give up. I don't mean give up like hand, hand away, except Jesus might ask you to do that. I mean saying that's not going to define the good life for me. And so if you don't know the old songs, there's a new song too. And I, I mean, there's a song called White Flag. And uh, I'll just read this lyric. It says, I, I've listened to both these this week, and there's been times in my life where I've listened to them both intensely because I knew there was things God wanted me to let go of as my hope for the good life, all right? This one, this song, it's out. Uh, the battle rages on as storms and tempests roar. We cannot win this fight inside our rebel hearts. We're going to lay down our weapons now, and we raise our white flag. We surrender all to you, all for you. We raise our white flag. The war's over. Love has come. Your love is won. So it's not, it's not, and I, I just did this this morning. I felt like God wanted me to, make, I, I went to my garage, and I found enough stuff to make a white flag. All right, because I, you know, white flags are never like pretty. They're always kind of tattered. I was going to rip it up, but this is what I found in my rag box. This is an old PVC piece of pipe, and I taped it and stapled it on there. So, but I thought, okay, can I can I do this but still hold on to this? Can I do this and still hold on to my hopes, all my relational hopes and dreams? Again, those aren't none of those are bad. But I was, I, w- I was wishing I could find a post that demanded two hands on it, so you have to wave it with two hands, because this is too easy for me. Oh, I wave this, but I'm going to kind of put this back here. You, 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 I'll take everything else, you know. And if you want me to give 11%, I'll give 11%, but do not take my credit cards, my bank account, my health insurance, or my car insurance. I, don't, I mean, I, I got that, Jesus. I can, I'm in charge of that. I think I'm, a, I'm good at that. But Jesus is like, well, what if, what, if, what if I wanted you to do something else with that so you can have more of me? Would, would I say, well, that would make me very sad. I mean, I would be overwhelmed with grief. And that's not a, it's not, a, it's understandable you might have that emotion, or I might have that emotion, like, but is... Is that going to be something you're going to say defines the good life? I've got to hold on to that. Or is the good life truly, and I don't mean this in a uh, trivial way, is it truly having more of Jesus in your life? Because Jesus said the more we have of him, the more we obey him and do what he says, the more he reveals himself to us. I mean, and we believe that's true, but we don't always think it's going to happen. So it's like, am I willing... To say, okay, Jesus, it's... And sometimes, Jesus, I have... My most stressful times financially, I feel like God has asked me to give money away. And my first reaction is, well, that's dumb. Why would I do that? But no, it's, it's not so... Jesus is like, no, you need to learn 
to loosen your grip on that. And sometimes that, maybe for you, maybe it's a different variation of it, it comes from, well, I, I, I got to do this because I got I to gotta ensure my future security. I've got to ensure my hopes and dreams for a house, cars, vacation. So what's, what's wrong with that? But if those hopes and dreams, which aren't bad, but if those take precedence over my love for Jesus, Jesus will test you there. He will say, hey, what about that issue in your life? What about that amount of money? What about that? Are you willing to kind of let go of that if I ask you to? I mean, it's kind of one of these, it's the encounter with Jesus. So if, you, if Jesus were coming to you and you said, what else do I do to get the good life? And he were to say to you, let's talk about that thing in your life or that amount of money or that there or this there. Um, what's the thing he would ask you to let go of that might cause you like, oh, and then you might kind of go into deep sadness because you're like, if I were to give that up, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do anymore with my future. I don't know what I'm going to do, how I'm going to pay for that. So what is it? So, but the thing is, uh, he's not doing that. He never does that to quash you down to the ground. He doesn't say, here's the white flag, unconditional surrender, you lose it all. We kind of, I think we think that may, may be a God sometimes, but it's not God. Because he said, in, in surrendering all, Jesus even said, you're going to get repaid. You're going to have so much more than what you let go of. So surrender is not defeat and the end of your personality. It's the beginning of a new life with you. So, uh, like I said, I sang, I went forward on that hymn when I was 22. I kind of wish it was a one and done thing, but Jesus will always ask you to surrender things. He'll always ask you to wave a white flag. Not for the sake of, again, pushing you in the ground, but for the sake of setting you free. So go to the next slide. So, um, yeah, that's the question. What's Jesus asking you to give up for the sake of the kingdom? And then the final question again, which is the question of the whole series, is do you, do you really want to be made whole? Do you want to get healed? Do you, and being made whole in this encounter has to do with money. Do you want to be made whole? Because Jesus will challenge your view of money. He may not take it all, but he may ask for some. I don't know. But he may challenge your view of it in the, re, the way that des- describes your sense of security and personality, which, again, that's, that's just evidence of our brokenness. If, if Jesus, if, if, we were, if we're all meant to define our worth by our bank accounts, then most of the world has no worth because Americans were wealthy beyond compared to the rest of the world. So... Jesus said this last, last slide. Go to the next one. He said, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we're not, we're not surrendering to someone who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. We're surrendering to, I have come, they may have life and have it to the full. The surrender, the giving up, the abandoning of those things to the grip. It's because Jesus wants to give you full life. And again, I'm saying that to you, I'm saying that to me, I'm saying that to me at age 61, I'm saying that to me when I'm 71, if I live that long at 81, it doesn't stop because that's how he fills us with life. So let me pray and close your eyes. So Jesus, 
actually, I'm going to just close your eyes for a second. And if, uh, what, is, what is the thing, and I want you to kind of just have this private interaction with Jesus. What is the thing that Jesus may be asking you to give up? Hope, dream, money. And again, not that those things are bad, but give it up from clutching it. Because this young, rich, rich young ruler obviously was gripping it for identity. What's the thing Jesus may at least want to challenge in you? Like, does your identity come from that hope, that dream, or that bank account? Does your your security in life, the good life, does it come from that hope, that dream, or that bank account? And if it does, be willing to let Jesus challenge you there because he wants to set you free. Luke chapter 4, he wants to set the oppressed free. Some of us are oppressed by future dreams or oppressed by future financial hopes. So Jesus, we, um, we know, Jesus, you, you have a tendency to be incredibly direct, clear, and sometimes you totally catch us off guard. But you also are kind, full of love for us, and your desire for us is only our freedom and our life and our joy and our peace. So if you need to be blunt with us, we know you're always kind and good. But we want to be set free, and you're the surgeon. You're the one who can unlock the chains. You're the one who can cut out the cancer of our hearts by which we've created these false definitions of the good life. Because we want you, Jesus. That's all we want. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.